The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to another edition of Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective on Voice American Sports. This past weekend, we saw the Super Bowl take place, the New England Patriots against the Seattle Seahawks. Number one seed versus the number one seed. Sort of parody like uh, the football college playoffs, Ohio State versus Oregon. But this one was a little different. It ended in very dramatic fashion that no one, I don't believe no one could have predicted that. I hosted my own Super Bowl party here in Los Angeles, and it was so many partygoers that were rooting for the Seattle Seahawks. But when I looked at the grand scheme of things, I looked at the personnel and how things broke down. I went with the New England Patriots. It looked very dire at the moment, at that particular time, excuse me. And then if you were to pan the sidelines of the New England Patriots team, there was a little anxiety there, both by Bill Belichick and by Tom Brady. Jermaine Curse made a sensational catch. And usually in the Super Bowls, there's always some player, some play that defines that moment. And Jermaine Curse play, that off the deflection, keeping his eyes on the ball, was able to haul it in and give his team an opportunity to punch it in for a score. Then all of a sudden, who knew? An unsuspecting hero in the Patriots uniform would step up and make a game-changing play. And you're talking about saving the bacon for the New England Patriots. Butler comes up, steps in front of a pass to lock it. Game's over. Pats win again. Tom Brady, arguably, is the best quarterback in NFL history. We'll discuss that and more later on in the show. We're waiting for our guest, Thomas McGahee to join us. We'll break down National Signing Day and what goes in to signing and, and recruiting, far as the recruiting trail is concerned, and get his take, early take, that on the San Francisco 49ers and the projection that they're kind of going to go into as far as the 2015-2016 uh, season. Now, a little bit about recruiting before we get Thomas here on the line. Now, I was a recruited out of, out of high school, but I still find a way to carve out a nice career in the NFL. But this is something that has changed over the years, and we'll, we'll talk to Thomas about this, but when, when you look at what recruiting used to be, opposed to what recruiting is now, before the coaches would come, sit in the living room, talk to your parents, talk to your mom and dad, talk to your grandmother, whomever was your legal guardian at that time. They had limited contact with you. It was kind of a cut and dry thing. You signed a letter of intent maybe when you were in the ninth grade, but by the time you reach your senior year, things have changed. Teams have gone to bowl games. 
they've changed uniforms. So much has changed from that first time when you signed that letter of intent that once you get to that signing day, everyone is in high anticipation of what you're going to do at that particular moment. Is he going to stick with his first choice or is he going to pull a David Blaine, a disappearing act, and choose another team? For a lot of teams that happen on National Signing Day and Will Muschamp, who used to be at the University of Florida, is now with the, the Auburn Tigers, excuse me, he was able to snatch from the grips of Florida Gators, one of their top recruits. There's always kind of a back and forth between coaches, and you never know once again what a player's final decision is going to be until he announced it that day, no matter what he signed on the paper, no matter what he said in, in the past. But that's, that's college recruiting now. Social media. Social media has now not just infected you know, society, but when you talk about National Signing Day, coaches have limited you know, communication with these potential collegiate athletes, and it kind of shapes and molds what happens in those decisions. So we'll talk about that shortly. Uh, we're still waiting to get uh, Thomas on the, the line here. But uh, also, uh, I'll back up just a little bit and, and talk about uh, the Super Bowl while we wait for him to get on the line. Sensational uh, Super Bowl, uh, to say the least. And th- there's a lot of, or were a lot of storylines coming in to that particular uh, Super Bowl. And I said it last week, there wasn't a lot of focus on the two quarterbacks, what they have been able to accomplish at this particular point and how they came in the league. And Tom Brady and Russell Wilson, two great quarterbacks. Uh, Russell Wilson, no matter how you feel about him, no matter what you think about him from a statistical standpoint, he did one heck of a job getting his team back to back-to-back Super Bowls. And no, he wasn't stellar in that Green Bay Packers game. But when he needed to make the plays, he made the plays. And on that last drive, what you you try not to give Tom Brady that much time on the clock to move his team down the field. So he did an excellent job managing that situation, not panicking in that situation where most quarterbacks would, but more importantly, he leaned on his running back, Marshawn Lynch, who earlier during the week took a lot of flack from the NFL and from the media because he did not want to stand in front of the media and talk. But he did sit there on the final media days and he said, hey, I'm here so I don't get fined. He was there and as the NFL uh, reported that he would not be fined for not participating and, and not talking to the media. He did just that, even though it was kind of a, a repetitive statement, but he did what they asked him to do. Uh, but Marshawn Lynch, I mean, so many negative things are being uh, said about him and how uh, maybe the, San, the, excuse me, the, the Seattle Seahawks should move past him and look to find maybe another running back uh, in, in the draft and maybe in free agency. All I can tell you is, but the combination between both he and Russell Wilson, they were an excellent combination. And to me, when you have success, you need to stick with it. Because there's a tendency, once a team reaches that pinnacle, which is the Super Bowl, and they have success, we've seen so many teams, whether it's NBA teams, Major League Baseball, NFL teams, just stripped, stripped the personnel. And then the idea of repeating is now taken away. So I know... Uh, the, the Seattle Seahawks have some heavy decisions to make 
between Russell Wilson. Does he deserve a big contract? Yes, he does. If, if, if you're going to pay Joe Flacco, if you're going to pay Tony Romo, you definitely have to pay Russell Wilson, and you have to find a way to keep a guy like Marshawn Lynch in the fold uh, as well. So big decisions for a, a lot of teams. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit of NBA action uh, right now. Uh, last night in NBA action, you had the Dallas Mavericks on the road at Golden State against Stephen Curry and the Golden State's Warriors. Stephen Curry, I mean, one of the best pure shooters in basketball. He, he reminds me of a, a young Reggie Miller. If, if you haven't ever seen Reggie Miller play, you young, you young listeners, go back, dig into the NBA archives, watch Reggie Miller. Sensational with the ball in his hands, coming off the dribble, you know, a, a movement away from the basketball. And they, the, the Pacers used to run this strategic play where you have, have, him, have Reggie on the wing, he runs to center court, curls around, giving the ball, catch and shoot, bucket, count it. And I know Spike Lee and his New York Knicks seen a lot of those days where Reggie Mills was able to drop three-point shots. But Stephen Curry dropped 51 points last night, 10 for 16 and three-pointers, field goals, 16 of 26, sensational. And right now, Steve Kerr has these guys rolling 39 and eight on the season. I mean, I, I was happy to see Steph, Stephen Curry pull this off. He and his dynamic duo, Clay Thomas, uh, probably the, the best shooting tandem uh, in, the, in the NBA right now. Uh, also, and, uh, and related basketball news, but college basketball news. Coach K. Mike earlier this week, 1,000 win. But last night against my Yellow Jackets, uh, 423 wins and the ACC surpassing Dean Smith of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Great accomplishment. Round of applause for Coach K. Sensational. He's been in that program for 35 years. He's won four national titles, put several players in that program in the NBA. So uh, great job. Coach K, great job, Coach K. Uh, also, the Syracuse Orangemen self-imposed bans for academic violations uh, with players Fab Mello and James Sutherland. So the question is, will these self-imposed violations be enough to keep the NCAA off their back? We don't know. We have to wait to see. But I know there's some people and Carl Gables, Miami Hurricanes, the U, they would play definitely, definitely play close attention to what's taking place with this story because they too, at one point, had self-imposed bans. But then we know that the NCAA still went in and investigated the school anyway. So we'll, we'll see what happens uh, with, with that. NBA All-Star Weekend is around the corner. You know, the one thing I love, love about this, this part of the year, you have the NFL Super Bowl, NBA All-Star. Then it's the Grammys. Then it's the Oscars. You got to love this part of the year, whether you are a lover of movies, whether you are a lover of sports. 
But here's another thing, and we're going to dig into this one uh, much more next week. Valentine's Day. Really? It's so commercialized. That's the one holiday that I definitely don't look forward to at all. It's, it's, it, I know. It's not because I'm one of those guys. No. I mean, I love showing uh, affection for you know, my wife or whomever I'm with at that particular point, but I deem it a day that I guess it's like, why? Who, who, why? That day, Valentine's Day, because of the calendar, you're supposed to show all your love and affection for your loved one. What about those other 364 days? We're going to choose not to show that person we care about. We're just going to, on Valentine's Day, we're going to load them up with chocolate. We're going to load them up with flowers and say, you know what? I know it's been tough being with me, but this is the day that I show all my love and my gratitude for you putting up with all of my nonsense. And for that, I do call it uh, nonsense because Valentine, I mean, it, it, it's so commercialized. I hate it. And uh, in my dating history, women have said to me, well, Nick, are you, you're cheap. You're just cheap. You're just frugal. I'm like, no, I'm not. Why should I allow a calendar? Anyone should like allow a calendar to dictate to them and tell them this is the only day or the most important day that you show your love and affection for your loved one. Hallmark cards, uh, flower shops, candy shops. This is the day that they get out of the red into the black because there is some boyfriend, some husband who failed to recognize his spouse, his significant other all year long. But he's going to choose this particular day to do it. If you want to join the program, you can reach me here at 888-346-9144. That number again is 888-346-9144. If you want to talk about your worst Valentines or your best Valentines, please give me a call. You can also follow me at Nick Ferguson underscore 25 on Twitter. Uh, we're still waiting to see if we can get Thomas McGahee on, on the line. Uh, while we wait, we will continue with some of uh, the more pressing topics in sports. Tiger Woods, you know, it, it saddens me to say this. I mean, uh, Tiger Woods at one point was on the top of his game, the pinnacle of golf. The reason why other minorities or non-minorities flock to the game of golf. Uh, he, he's been struggling ever since uh, that I guess you want to, if you want to call it, unfortunate incident with his wife. He's gone through a slew of injuries. He's gone through a bevy of, of coaches. He's just struggling right now. He didn't make the Phoenix Open last week. And who would ever thought we would even say this? Uh, Tiger Woods, I mean, ranked number 56 in the world in golf. I mean, he's not even in the top 50. We, several years ago, we never would have thought this possible. But it makes you raise the question, has it been the end of an era? Are we witnessing an end of an era? We, we've seen it with several athletes. We've seen it with uh, Derek Jeter of the New York Yankees. Now Peyton Manning, 
is at a pivotal point in his career where he's contemplating whether he still can do it. Mentally, he can, but physically, can he really get out there and compete? And, and that's the thing with, with athletes. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's in you to go out there and will your team and try to will your body. But at some point, the body appears to be mightier than the mind itself. At least some athletes tend to think that. I think otherwise. But hopefully Peyton Manning comes back and maybe Tiger Woods is able to overcome his shortcomings, get his swing back on track, whatever is the outside distractions might be. Hopefully Tiger Woods can get himself back on track because sports, they're great when there's competition, when there's a, a, a rivalry. And golf, more importantly, is a great sport to watch when Tiger Woods is playing. I mean, the fanfare, whether it's the, uh, the, the British Open uh, uh, or the U.S. Open, it doesn't make a difference what it is. When Tiger Woods is in the game of golf, everyone wants to take notice. Everyone wants to see what's going to happen. And I think it would be the best comeback uh, in sports history if he can get, to get his game back on track get himself in the tournament, and win. And that's all it takes. One win starts a streak, and then you move on from there. Wow. A lot of crazy things, a lot of crazy things to get to. Uh, Joining the program later on, former Georgia Tech standout running back Jonathan Dwyer will give recounts of what National Signing Day was for him and how he's moving forward in his life and give some advice for some NFL prospects and a 2015 uh, draft here shortly. Wow. Sensational. Sensational. I think uh, we're going to get our co-host Mario Batanzi in here uh, very shortly uh, in a moment, but a little, a little more NBA news before we go to the break here. Uh, Kevin Durant, OKC, Kevin Durant is out, but Russell Westbrook was sensational last night yet again. Uh, it's, yet, it's yet to be determined how far can this team go on the legs of Russell, uh, Russell Westbrook, and can Kevin Durant get himself healthy enough to help OKC and Scott Brooks make a push late in the season? I said yes. I was talking about duos, dynamic duos earlier. This is the, the OKC versions of their dynamic duo. Choose who's Batman, choose who's Robin. But I know when you talk about dynamics and the NBA, two sensational players, hopefully they can get things together and OKC can actually make a push late after the All-Star break. After the break, once again, we're going to talk to Jonathan Dwyer and get his take on recruiting life Life in the NFL and the pressures associated with being an NFL player. You're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? (laughs) 
Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine, from the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week. Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. That is uh, the Barge, not Elder Barge. Elder Barge was the lead singer, but that's the group, the Barge. On this day in 1983, the Barge first appeared on the charts with that hit, I Like. And speaking of uh, I-, I Like, uh, you know, last week there was a lot of controversy swirling around the New England Patriots and so-called Deflategate, which is still in question in the NFL is now starting their in-depth investigation. And the question was that, was it just the Patriots? Is this considered to be the Patriots' way? Well, I said then, and I still say it now, ever since I played football when I was young, in the neighborhood, high school, college, and even pros, now, it was kind of this unwritten code. And I'm not saying that I agree with it, but I have to just talk about the unwritten code. And and that was the phrase that if you're not cheating, you are not trying. And for all those individuals who just thought it was the New England Patriots and Spygate, uh, Deflategate, well, here's some recent news. The Atlanta Falcons, that's right, the Dirty Birds of the South were doing just that, being dirty. Uh, owner Arthur Blank had to come out and apologize because there are rules in the NFL. And sometimes some, ten- some teams and some players love to push the envelope, as they say. So in Atlanta, they decided, well, we know that noise somehow affects the opposition. Now, we're not talking about noise like Seattle. We're not talking about noise like Kansas City. That's the fans out there, the 12th man. The, the, the guys in Arrowhead making noise, raising the decimal level, breaking Guinness World Book records. In Atlanta, they said, well, we want to duplicate that. So they decided to pump crowd noise. That's right, 
pump crowd noise through the speakers to give some kind of impression of the fans were really involved. They really cared. And they really showed up and showed out. But you can't do that in the NFL. There are rules. There are guidelines. You can't go around just breaking rules and being all willy-nilly. No, the rules are in place for a reason, to be followed. So now they are subject to investigations and possible fines from the league, but it doesn't stop there. The Cleveland Browns, that's right, the Cleveland Browns. I mean, so many problems with the Cleveland Browns. We'll get, get into that in, in our third segment. But the Cleveland Browns, under investigation, and it's alleged that the Cleveland Browns were texting during games, texting coaches on the field, well, you should run this play. You should run that play. Sounds a little familiar, especially for those Raiders fans. The late Al Davis was known for calling down to the sideline and telling his coaching staff what players to put in, what plays to run, and to his credit, he was the owner. But once again, rules are rules, and you can't break rules. Wow. Texting? What players? What plays? Now, that would explain a lot. Because recently, Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator, left the organization saying, hey, I'm going to resign because I feel uncomfortable here. We drafted a guy that I'm not too high on, and we're being forced to put him in the game, and we're being forced to run plays. So I knew there was something more to this story than Kyle just deciding, I'm just going to walk away. I'm just going to quit this job because I feel as though this organization doesn't truly believe in winning. I know Kyle. There's more to him than that. He's come from some good NFL pedigree, but now the story's out. The cat's out of the bag, literally. You can't do that. You can't just go around and start breaking rules. That's not what we do in the NFL. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Roger Goodell and the league handles this situation because it's been just that. A year of constant turmoil. You had the Ray Rice situation, Adrian Peterson, Greg Hardy. The list goes on and on and on. But a new campaign year starts March 10th. Free agency. And we're going to delve into it next week on the program. We're going to talk about the the potential winners and losers, which players are going to stay. Should teams go ahead and make those payments and try to keep their marquee players in their locker room? A lot to talk about uh, next week on the program. But it is Black History Month, the month of February. So I'm going to take this time to talk a little bit about some moments in history. And this day, February 5th in 1989, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Los Angeles Lakers, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar becomes the first NBA player to score over 38,000 points. 38,000 points. You know how many vanilla wafers? Hmm. Well, anyway, let me get off of that. I almost got hungry for a second there. In 1977, Sugar Ray Leonard beats Louis Vega in six rounds in his first pro fight. And just think, that was his first pro fight. And look at him now. Sugar Ray, we salute you. 
Also, 1991, a little bit of football history here. Uh, this league is no longer in existence, but February 5th, you might as well toss it out. The Big East Football Conference forms. I don't think they knew back then in 1991 that their run would at somewhat taper off and there would no longer be a Big East. We all know what happened with the Big East basketball. Hey, listen, as a basketball fan, growing up in Miami, Florida, I love the Big East. I love seeing the clashes between the teams. It was kind of a, a fiery type of division, reminding me of the Eastern Conference, what the Eastern Conference used to be in the, the NBA. So no longer the BCS, excuse me, not the BCS, got a little ahead of myself, the Big East Football Conference forms in 1991 and no longer. Now, here's a little something that even I thought about before I came on air about mentioning, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. And maybe Mario can chime in on this one. In 2006, Super Bowl 41 featured the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Seattle Seahawks. And the Steelers defeated the Seahawks 21-10. And I have to say this, that was my Super Bowl. Well, in my mind, I thought it was my Super Bowl, but we were defeated at home, the 6 seed Pittsburgh Steelers, in a game that I feel that we should have won. But like I said, we didn't win at all. So uh, uh, very interesting. Also, in some other related black history news, 1986 and February 8th, a couple of days from now, but I thought I would go ahead and mention it. Figure skater Debbie Thomas became the first African-American woman to win the women's singles of the U.S. figure competition. For all those individuals who accomplished these great feats, uh, I, I once again, my high salute to you because you've influenced people like myself to go out and continue to do my best and try to influence other individuals. Uh, Mario, are you there? I'm here, Nick. All right, Mario. I was just talking about, you know, uh, this day in history. And I talked about 2006, this day in history. Super Bowl 41, Pittsburgh Steelers defeating the Seattle Seahawks 21-10. I know you are quite familiar with that matchup as well as I am. Yeah, you know what? Um, I remember that Super Bowl being the one where Daryl Jackson, who at the time was a stud receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, played a year in Denver after that. I was actually pretty close to Daryl while he was out here in Denver, and I remember talking to him about that game, and he said, you know, it was unlike any game that I've ever played. You know, some of these pass interference calls were so blatant. I'm sorry, it was uh, they called him for offensive pass interference, and he's like, you know, in my whole career, and he had a pretty long career, I want to say maybe eight or nine years in the NFL, in his career, he never experienced anything like that. and he, he, he was just kind of dumbfounded by the calls that were being made in that Super Bowl. You, you know what, Mario, it, it, that, that was, and that was a moment in history, 2006, February 5th, Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the Seattle Seahawks 21-10. Uh, I tried to erase it from my memory as much as I, I can. It doesn't sting as much as it used to, but when you have an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, and you don't get it done, it is really tough. And with that being said, I spoke earlier about the Seattle Seahawks and the potential to win Super Bowl 49. They just didn't get it done. A lot of questions about Pete Carroll and should he have 
thrown a pass or should he have given it to Marshawn Lynch? So I'll, I'll get your take on what you think should have taken place at that pivotal moment in the game. Well, here's the thing, Nick. I mean, there are people getting paid a lot more money than me to make those kind of decisions. Uh, it, it seems like something that you practice the two weeks leading up to it. You know, what do you do in a situation like that? And my take on it, Nick, obviously everybody and their mother is going to say they should have run, they should have run. But let's, let's take it a step further. Let's try and understand their rationalization. You're at the one-yard line. The clock has stopped. What do you think everybody thinks in that entire stadium, Nick, everybody, all the millions of people watching at home, what do they think they were going to do? They thought they were going to give it to beast mode. And, yeah, they probably should have. But that was their mindset. I think the Seattle Seahawks tried to outsmart everybody, and then they ended up outsmarting themselves. What is the last possible thing you could ever imagine them doing in that situation? Throwing a slant over the middle to their fourth or fifth, fourth or fifth best pass catcher on the team. And it, what doesn't make any sense to me is Pete Carroll saying, oh, well, we wanted the option to stop the clock. You know, if we're going for the end zone, so if he catches it, it's a touchdown. If he drops it or if it's incomplete, then the clock stops. So if they're on the far left side of the field, Nick, where you have your best run blockers on the left side of that line, my thought is why not run a stretch play to the edge, and if they don't get in, at least Marshawn Lynch can get out of bounds, but chances are he's probably going to punch it in on a stretch play. But then that way you have the option, like if it's not there, he could just run out of bounds and stop the clock. Or if you're really dead set on a pass, if you're on that left hash, Nick, and everybody in the stadium thinks that you're going to run the ball, why not play action bootleg? Keep the ball in the hands of your playmakers. I mean, Russell Wilson at five foot ten can't see over the line, and he's throwing in a very congested area on the one-yard line right over the middle in front of all that traffic. It didn't make any sense to me. We know how good Russell Wilson is in space. So what happens? You play action pass. Chances are they're going to bite on that play action, roll out the fullback, or roll out Luke Wilson, who didn't catch a pass all game, to the other side, and if he's not open, Wilson can run, and if that's not there, he can throw it out the back of the end zone, Nick. It's just a much safer play. It kind of opens up that area, which is very hard to do on the one-yard line. I mean, you have so many options with that offense. I mean, stick to your strengths. The slant over the middle is not your strength. That's something the New England Patriots would do because they have Rob Gronkowski. If you had a Rob Gronkowski on that team, then, yeah, that slant would make a ton of sense, and I don't think anybody would criticize it. But you're throwing it to Ricardo Lockett, who, as I said, is the fourth or fifth, fourth or fifth best pass catcher on the team. So I just want to take it a step further because, obviously, they should not have passed the ball. That's obvious. But hindsight's twenty twenty. Let me ask you this, Nick. If it works, Butler doesn't make a hell of a play and pick that ball off, and the pick play works, Lockett catches it for a touchdown. Do you think there is anybody in this entire world, in the entire universe, that's looking at that saying, oh, well, I know they scored, but they still should have run? No. So hindsight's twenty twenty. It's very easy for people not in the situation, people in the media, to say they should have done this, they should have done that. Yeah, well, if it wasn't for Chris Matthews having the game of his life, you know, a kid that didn't catch a pass until the Super Bowl, they wouldn't have even been in that game. If it wasn't for a lucky catch by Javon Curse at the end of the game, they wouldn't have even been in that situation. And getting back to Curse, their possession before that, if he had caught that pass that he dropped that would have put him into field goal range and then put the uh, Seahawks at least up two possessions, then the game is over. And I know we're going to fixate on that one play, just kind of like in Denver a couple of years ago when Raheem Moore got beat by Jacoby Jones. That's the play that you're always going to remember. And I understand, and I get it, because that was obviously a very pivotal play. 
you can't focus. Like, the Super Bowl did not boil down to that one play. It never does boil down to one play. No, no, it doesn't. But it, it was a sensational catch uh, to put Seattle in that position when Jermaine Kurz actually held, hauled in that, that, that reception. And what I was telling people at my Super Bowl party was, well, how do you catch a ball? You don't just catch it with your hand. You catch it with your eyes. And as you saw in the replay, he stayed with the ball the entire time, watched the ball with his eyes, was able to pull the ball in and put his team in a situation. And there have been a lot of back and forth on what Pete Carroll should have done in that particular situation. But even the great Bill Belichick himself said, I don't understand what all the fuss is. And just like you said, if Pete Carroll makes that, makes that, makes that, he made that call. But if Russell Wilson connects with Lockett and it's a touchdown, no one's second guessing that. He is the best move in all the football, and Carroll said himself. We realized that the New England Patriots put their goal line defense out there, and we saw three corners on the field. So it was our chance to actually, you know, take a shot. I, I thought maybe you run what, what I would call a double move all, all in that red zone area where you have Lockett come in on a slant pattern and have him rotate and pivot back outside. So that way, if Russell Wilson were to deliver the ball outside, then, and Lockett were not to catch it, then it goes out of bounds, no interception. But if he, he hauls in the reception, he falls in, game's over, Seahawks back-to-back championship. Russell Wilson goes down in history as the only black quarterback, African-American quarterback, to go take his team to back-to-back Super Bowls. And he would have at that particular point with the win, he would have beaten Rodgers. He would have been Manning. He, wouldn't have, he would have beaten Brady. A feat that most quarterbacks in the NFL can't say they do on the regular basis. So, so much history was on the line, and we can go back and forth and debate whether it, it would happen or, or, or not. All I know, it was a, it was a great uh, Super Bowl nonetheless. And, you well, know, Nick, really quick before we move on, yes. let me ask you this. You run the ball with Marshawn Lynch. He gets down to the one-yard line. The clock is rolling. If it's you, if the game is in your hands, you're making the decision and obviously try and forget about the way that the game ended. How are you calling that second down play? I'm sorry, the third down play, and then I'll tell you what I would do. Well, for me, what I would do in in that situation, I would just run the ball. Uh, Marshall Lynch up until that point had, you know, over 100 yards rushing uh, in that game. You have to give it to your running back. And speaking of running backs, after we come back from the break, we will talk about someone who was toting the rock in the NFL and get his take on signing day and some of his signing day experience. Jonathan Dwyer joins us after uh, the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective, here on Voice America Sports. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. On this day in 1983, that was Journey Separate Ways debuted at number 36 on the Billboard charts. I know that's long before our first guest and long before he was even born, but one thing he knows about, he knows about football and he knows about running over defenders, former Georgia Tech standout and All-American, Jonathan Dwyer joins us. Jonathan, thanks for joining the program. Uh, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Listen, we were just talking about, you know, Marshawn Lynch and uh, what Coach Pete Carroll should have done in that situation in the Super Bowl. With you being a running back and watching the game, what would you have liked to have happened if you were in Marshawn Lynch's position? Um, well, my perspective, I, I mean, I think everybody in America really thought that uh, after the first run he had that was very successful, that they were going to run the ball at least one more time. Um, I think that, you know, they, you know, overthought themselves, you know, trying to, you know, trying to get the mental mindset of uh, Bill Belichick. I think they really over, over, overthought the situation and just, you know, go go with what uh, what got you there. And that's, you know, using Marshawn Lynch and, and um, you know, using Russell Wilson's feet. Now, you know, being a former Georgia Tech uh, standout, you've had the opportunity to watch uh, the program change from, you know, Chan Gailey to Paul Johnson. And uh, most recently we watched this Georgia Tech team just kind of just change under uh, Paul Johnson. You play in the ACC championship against Florida State. Then you beat uh, a team that was at one point the number one team in the nation in Mississippi State handedly. Uh, what do you think and what's your interpretation of what Paul Johnson is doing with that Georgia Tech program right now? Well, I think I think PJ's doing a great job. You know, he's bringing um, some high-quality players. I think it all starts up. With the the guys up front, you know, with the you know the offensive line, you know, they had a great offensive line this past year. They had one, you know, all American, you know. Um, so I think that's where it all starts. And then you know, the, you can get athletes no matter where you are, especially the state of Georgia. So I think that he's doing a great job um, with the you know get athletes, but most importantly, I think he's doing a great job getting guys up front, you know, offensive linemen and defensive linemen as well. Now, as far as you, you know, uh, Wednesday was National Signing Day, and Paul Johnson pulled in some great. Uh, athletes, some great 
players that can actually build this program up and add some depth moving forward. In your experience, in your recruiting experience, I mean, what was it like for you when you were trying to make the decision to go to Georgia Tech and maybe some other school? How, how did you make your final decision? Well, um, it was based off of, uh, you know, my situation was, uh, was fun. Um, you know, it was down to Georgia Tech in Florida. And, um, you know, I love both places, but uh, I think it was mainly the guys that, you know, that went there um, more than anything. Um, I knew that, you know, I was going to get a great education no matter where I went. But um, it was just com- the camaraderie I-, I gained with, you know, my recruiting class, you know, from um, Morgan Burnett, Joshua Nesbitt, um, you know, Gerard Tarrant, um, Roddy Jones, you know, Tyler Mellon, you know, the list goes on and on, Big Nick Clayer, you know, all, you know, we all, you know, met each other through the process. And, you know, um, the ambassador, who was Kyle Jackson, you know, he basically was the one that formed everybody together. And we all got along and started, you know, getting to know each other. And um, at the same time, you know, you'll learn the friendships and brotherhood that, that last until now. Now, I, I know, you know, recently, you know, you've, you've had your own personal issues in the NFL. Now, what are you doing right now to get Jonathan Dwyer back on an NFL playing field? Because I have to say, I, I mean, I love you watching you run at Georgia Tech. Definitely love watching you with the Steelers in Arizona. But what are you doing right now to kind of get yourself back into football shape, but more, like, more or less get your life back on track? Well, um, football shape's never been an issue. Um, I've been, I was working out even when everything was going on. Um, it's over with now. Um, you know, I'm glad everything's finalized and I can get back to being um, the things that are important to me, which is a father and a, and a you know, a football player. So, um, you know, and, and in that order. So I was, you know, working out every day, um, Monday through Saturday, and just, you know, doing everything I needed to do to get myself ready. Um, you know, I love Arizona. I love uh, Bruce Arians. And I hope that uh, this is this is where, you know, I, I come back to. This is the place I really want to play the rest of my career out at. So um, just doing everything, the things I need to do to, for, that, for that to be possible. Well, I know that the Arizona Cardinals are definitely a team that's on a cusp. And having a guy like you in the fold would definitely help Carson Palmer or whoever it is is under center uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. But there's a lot of, you know, prospects heading into the NFL draft this season. If you, Jonathan Dwyer, could talk to them about the pressure of playing in the NFL, what would be some of the things that you would advise them to be aware of? Um, just, you know, be around, the, you know, have good people around you. Have people, you know, who, you know, gen- genuinely care about you, whether money's involved or money's not involved. You know, they just want to see you successful. They just want to see you succeed. They just want to see, you know, you um, go go over and above your expectations. Um you know, have a good agent, have a good team, marketing team, and, you know, just, you know, if you have parents or you have a, that high school coach or that college coach that you're close with, you know, keep them in your life. Um, that's probably the biggest thing I would absolutely say, you know, and just remember that, you know, it is a business, but also it is football. You know, it's a, it's a kid's game. You know, just go out there and have fun. Well, Jonathan, I, I, you know, I'm rooting for you, man, and I want to see you get back on the field and do what you, you can do because you, you're a great player. I know you want to be a loving father to your kids. Uh, you can follow Jonathan at JD Dwyer uh, 27 and look for him in an NFL uniform this season 2015. Thank you for joining the program, Jonathan. Appreciate it very much. Uh, thanks, man. God bless. All right. Go Jackets. Go Jackets. That's right. Go Jackets.
float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, no one glistens like those Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Mario Vitanzi, listen, uh, great stuff from Jonathan Dwyer. I wish him the best. Like I said, I want to see him get back on the field. There's a lot of players that find themselves in uh, tough situations and really don't have that supporting cast around him. But I'm going to talk about a couple of guys that are veterans but find themselves making uh, poor choices. Most recently, uh, a guy who's in the business, Warren Sapp, played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, found himself in trouble, was released from his contract by NFL Network after some uh, alleged activities of Phoenix during the Super Bowl week. I will not discuss what those are, but it's just sad and unfortunate when guys find themselves uh, in this situation. Mario, any words on or comments on that? I mean, I actually tweeted this out, Nick. You can take the player out of the U, but you can't take the U out of the player. And I know we've talked to Miami players on here, and it's not fair to pigeonhole them, but, I mean, they do have a track record. And obviously I'm not going to say all of them are bad, but not all of them are good. And this is Warren Sapp, man, and I know it's, it's, a, it's a shame to say and it's a shame to talk about, but this is just another instance. You know, the NFL Network gave him another chance. They kept him on despite the fact that, really, Nick, he was pretty terrible on TV. I'm not sure really what they saw in him, maybe just because he's a Hall of Famer and they, they wanted that pedigree so they'd be able to compete with the ESPN pregame. Cause it's, I mean, now it's all former players. So, and, it's, and it's who has the most reputable, the most well-known former players. So ESPN went out of their way to get in Ray Lewis, who has had his troubles, and now the NFL Network went out of their way to bring in Warren Sapp. So I, honestly, if I'm going to be completely honest, Nick, I wish I could say that I was surprised by his behavior but the truth is I'm not. I mean, this isn't the first time that we've seen Warren Sapp in the news for, you know, some sort of legal issue, and it's probably not going to be the last. I mean, I hope that he figures it out, but his track record would say that he's not going to. Well, you know what? Uh, before you joined the program, we were talking about the woes of the Cleveland Browns, but they continue to be hit hard when I talked earlier about the texting during the games of trying to get coaches to put in certain players in certain plays. But here's what SNL's Seth Meyers, former SNL host, now television host, night television host, had to say about Johnny Menzel during the NFL Honors. Take a listen to this. I should also mention that tonight's show will run two hours or about twice as long as the Johnny Menzel era. It was a rough start for Johnny Football this year, but it makes more sense when you learn that his middle name is College, Johnny College Football. Manziel, Manziel was fined $10,000 for an obscene gesture, then went 0-2 in his two starts, and he was spotted hanging out with Justin Bieber. When asked if he thought it affected his performance, Bieber said, nah, I wasn't that good to begin with. That's just a long laundry list of what's happened with the Cleveland Browns. The texting scandal, Josh Gordon, Johnny Manziel, did they draft him? Was he the best selection? And earlier this week, he checked himself into rehab. If you go back to last season draft, if you are the Cleveland Browns organization, do you pull the trigger and take Johnny Manziel? I, I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Nick. I wasn't really that high on Johnny Manziel. Last year, I thought he was a product of Texas A&M. I thought he was a fantastic athlete, but, I mean, he had his believers. He had his, his supporters. 
And honestly, I see him a lot as a Tim Tebow type, except that he doesn't have his head on straight the way that Tebow did. And he just wasn't as big as Tebow. So at least Tebow could kind of, you know, feign being a respectable NFL quarterback because he put the work in, you know. And that's what we would have to see from Johnny Menzel. They're a very similar kind of quarterback. And the reason that Tebow had the limited success that he did was because of the work that he put in. And, and it's pretty clear Johnny Manziel didn't put that work in. So at least now he has identified the problem. Um, I mean, it, it's a shame to see such a young athlete with such a high ceiling have to go through something like this, but at least he realized he had a problem and he's making strides to at least better himself for the future. Well, you know, my, my best goes to Johnny Manziel and acknowledging that there is an issue and hopefully he tries to rein that in so he can try and make a valiant attempt to make good on the fact that the Cleveland Browns drafted him in the first round, 22nd overall, to pay them back for uh, them rewarding him with this uh, high praise and drafting him uh, that high. But also, here's some more comments from Seth Myers on two guys I know you love to hear most about. Let's hear that audio. NFL referees, uh, and I just like to say, people complain a lot about the NFL refs, but it worked for them. We might not have Tony Romo here tonight. a finalist for MVP. Congratulations to the amazing Cowboys season, returning to the playoffs for the first time in five years. I thought it was so nice that the team was finally as high quality as the giant TV in your stadium. You might not know this, Tony, but for the last few seasons, late in games, they would just switch that thing over to reruns of Seinfeld. And that's a show about nothing. You know what's so amazing about football is its capacity to surprise us. After Seattle started 3-3, three and three, who would have thought they'd still be here? After New England lost to the Chiefs 41-14 in Week 4, who would have thought they'd still be here? And after everything that happened in the NFL this year, who would have thought Roger Goodell would still be here? Mario, I have to say, you know, watching it live and, and listening to it again, it, it's still co quite uh, comical. And when you're in those situations as a comedian, you're in the room with with movie stars and athletes, it's, you know, the material flows like a, a Niagara Falls. And to hear him say that about Roger Goodell, and if you watch the video, you can see uh, Hall of Fame wide receiver Michael Irvin, I mean, rolling on the floor laughing after those comments. When, when you hear uh, these things about the, the commissioner, do you agree, even though it's comedy, do you agree? Yeah, man, I, I don't think he said anything that I would disagree with, and I don't know how Roger Goodell felt about it, but that's what you get when you bring in a comedian with a gang of writers to host an event like that. You have to expect that you're going to take your lumps, especially being in Goodell, Goodell's position. Well, I, I tell you what, it, it, it was hilarious, and it did make you wonder how the commission was able to hold on to his job, but he did that, in fact, because there are 32 owners who believe and Roger Goodell and believe in him enough to pay him $30 million a year because he has the league on the upswing and he's putting money in their pocket. The game's bigger than ever. You look at the Super Bowl, most watched television game or movie, television show, whatever you want to call it, in history. 
So, of course, Roger Goodell is going to keep his job. Sorry we couldn't get Thomas McGahee on. That's the life of being a coach and being a new special teams coach for the 49ers. We're going to try to get him back on the program next Thursday. Mario, Valentine's Day next week, Thursday. We're going to talk everything Valentine's Day, the do's and do nots of Valentine's Day. I would like to thank, you know, my co-host, Mario Vitanzi, for chiming in. Also, Jonathan Dwyer, former Georgia Tech running back, standout running back, Hopefully he gets another opportunity to get himself back in the NFL. Guys in Phoenix for making everything run smoothly. The Garden Pavilions for housing the Nick Ferguson Secondary Perspective Show and the Church of Scientology for allowing me to use their venue to film it. Until next week, drive safely and don't spend too much on Valentine's Day. That's Secondary Perspective. See you here next week. Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. 